to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer, and this is a podcast of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Now, today we're going to talk about a topic that's important, and um, with Valentine's Day coming up, I think it's something that's on my mind more, and that is marriage and what God wants us to do with our marriages. And so we're going to do two things today. This is a most unusual podcast because we're doing something very different that we haven't done yet. And that is not only are we going to listen to a pre-recorded talk, which I'll tell you about that in a minute, but we're also going to interview the woman who gave the talk because I felt like she had more to share and I just wanted to be able to have a conversation with her about some of um, what she shared in this upcoming talk. So I'm excited about this. All right, so this talk that you're going to hear in a few minutes is one of our archived talks from the 2018 Regarding Him Women's Conference that was held at Christ the Word Church, and this year's theme was called Faith Over Fear. And if you remember, back at the beginning of our entire podcast, like season one, we listened to a series of four weeks where we had um, highlighted the talks called Faith Over Fear given by Cheryl Bailey. So today we're going to actually do one that's very specific and it's called Facing Your Fears in Marriage, and Erica Simpson gave that talk that day, and I actually brought her on with me. I'm so excited you're here with us today, Erica. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited because um, your talk was really impactful to me in a lot of ways, and I'm not going to give them all away yet, okay? (laughs) But I do want to start by asking you a couple of questions before we get started because this talk is a little bit unique. It's not a traditional type of a marriage talk, right? No. And so tell me a little bit about um, the, why this was the topic that you're, why were you asked to do it? And, you know, why is it important for women? Well, I think maybe because of the state of our culture and how marriage has really been under attack yeah. in um, recent years and has taken a beating. <laughs> um, there may be a fear about marriage or even entering into marriage. So many kids come from broken homes. Yes. um, And they're not sure they can do that themselves. Or, um, you know, personally, we've lived in a community for 17 years and we've just watched at least once or twice a year um, neighbors and friends of Mm -hmm. ours have divorced and it's heartbreaking. And um, there's a lot of repair. Yeah, one of my kids at their school lunch table was going with me talking about all the kids at their lunch table, which is like 10 kids. Mm And they were discussing with me about how most of them, like I would say 80% are from broken homes, troubled marriages. And he was, my son was like surprised, Mm -hmm. like this is not the world he is used to. Right. So it's, but but it is a reality and it is here. And and I know that, you know, in the church, uh, it has happened as well. So I think in order to equip us, how do we stay married? Um, is really the question here. That's right. You can't really know. I think I said this in the talk when you are making that covenant, what will come. Um, And so it it requires an element of faith rather than fear to stay married and to um, have something lasting. Yeah. So this talk might highlight, you might think as you listen to it, oh, I don't have anything that I'm fearful of. But I think it's helpful to realize that it's good for us to be ready. Mm -hmm. There might be some fears that come. And that it doesn't matter if what you're struggling with in marriage is something that's big and sensational Mm -hmm. or if it's something that's kind of like more ordinary, Mm -hmm. we still have to deal with it properly. And we always on Unshaken um, talk a lot about what the Bible says. So we're going to do that today. You do it in your talk, Erica, but also I know that as we we have these little mini interviews, which are really fun, Mm -hmm. we'll get to talk a little bit about what the Bible says. Um, So also I was wondering as we go into today's podcast, why should a woman listen if they don't have the fears in marriage? Well, I do know people who seem simply blessed in their marriage. You know, they're kind of enthralled with each other and they're yeah. they're just a perfect match. Yeah, but um, how long have they been married? Okay, exactly. like six months or something? <laughs> no, some, of long, right. some of them yes, are long. Some of them are long time. They're just super well suited. They didn't yeah. bring a lot of baggage into the yep. marriage. You know, there's just some that are just simply blessed in that way. They might have other trials in other areas, you know, Yeah. because all of us have trials. Um, but praise God if you haven't needed a talk like this. Um, and, yeah. and yet for the rest of us, this is kind of an honest assessment of what really is the cultural landscape and what we're facing in marriage, um, that we can handle it with faith. And hopefully we have, we know that we have tools for action and hope. 
Yeah, yeah, that's really important. And I think that's something that we want to give you as the listener some tools, mm-hmm. some things you can take with you, you know, so to, so to speak, pull out of your toolbox mm-hmm. and use them mm-hmm. when you need them. You may never need to use, you know, that one screwdriver that only works on one item, but maybe you will need to pull it out sometime and fix something mm-hmm. or, you know, take something apart. So with that, Erica, we're going to jump in and listen to your talk that you gave and um, a couple of years ago. And it's interesting, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was reminded that, and here we are in our lives in 2021. And you know what? Our fears may look a little different. And maybe it's the woman who now is fearful because she's home all the time with her husband. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, our fears may change, but the principles are what we're going to listen to. So mm-hmm. let's jump right in. All right. Okay. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. <laughs> um, I will in the talk as well, but I am Erica. Okay, I can start. Um, and my husband is Kevin, and we have a lot of kids. And he's a an accountant, so. A lot of the year I am on my own with a lot of those kids, so those are some of the challenges that I'll be facing in this talk, <laughs> like what the Lord has taught me through some of the things that we've been through. But marriage is a multifaceted topic, isn't it? Marriage starts small with two people and a promise, and from there it radiates out. It grows out. A marriage touches countless lives, and if there are children, it shapes them at the core of who they are. So think with me about the beginning of a union to a wedding. What is it about uh, a wedding that makes a couple married? Is it the invitations or the marriage license? Is it the honored guests or the white dress? The music, the minister, the rings, the kiss, the party, what comes after? No, none of these things alone make one married. You can have all of these elements at an event but still not have a wedding. So what is it that makes a wedding a wedding? Well, when we strip all the trappings away, we can make the case that it's the vow that makes a marriage. It's the promise or the covenant that each spouse is making to the other before God. And all the other events of the wedding that I just listed are there to support, welcome, come on in, support and affirm that vow. But it's the vow, the promise, that covenant that is the essence of marriage. To have and to hold in good times and in bad. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. It's a vow made before God that neither spouse will break it or end it until death. So let me ask you something. Do people really know what they're getting into? Do they really know that they can do that? How can they promise that nothing but death will separate them? Well, they don't know what lies ahead of them, and they don't know what variables could come down their way. A while back, I was listening to a podcast while I was doing laundry. It was on minimalism. So I have a lot of people in my house, and I always have to get rid of stuff, so that kind of motivates me. And what I was curious about this topic on um, toxic relationships. So I was like listening to that. It was a Q&A format and there were two hosts. And a young woman stepped up to the mic and she said, so what I'm dealing with is I'm trying to move on to be a single mom in my life. I've been with my son's father for five years, but we fight all the time. And as I've dug deeper into my journey of minimalism, I've come to the thought that his values and mine are totally different. At this point, one host steps up and says, good for you. Yeah, see, you don't want to be with him five more years or even a decade longer. And it goes on in this vein. Later, the other host says his piece. And he says, I know it's really hard, but I want to congratulate you on where you are right now. The encouragement I would give you, and you don't even know it, is that you're at the beginning of giving your son a beautiful example to follow. You're starting a new life, and it's difficult, but you're doing the right thing. And once it cools down and you're able to form a new relationship with him, go out of your way and really respect your ex-husband because that's going to help you through the entire process. You're definitely doing the right thing. To which there's great applause. Well, the world thinks really little of the covenant, as we can see. It actually congratulates the breaking of it in efforts to take away the sting or the stigma of divorce. 
Consciously uncoupling is a term that's coined in recent years to talk about an amicable divorce. And the reasons to uncouple can be deep or shallow. All that really seems to matter is if it improves your situation, then you should do it. But what if this woman would begin to respect her husband right now, rather than take the host's advice to respect him when he's an ex-husband? What if the beautiful example she gives her son is one where his parents reconcile and serve one another, even though they're different and changing? And what if this woman served her son's future marriage by giving him an example of parents who stayed together? Sadly, we live in a culture where promises and vows are often not kept, almost with the assumption that when it gets too hard, then no one's expected to honor that vow. So I seem to be painting a pretty bleak picture, but did you know that the current stats show that 50% of marriages today end in divorce? And I read that between 70 and 80% of divorces today are initiated by women. So this is a women's conference, and given the current landscape of these stats, it makes sense that we should talk about how high the stakes are. So this podcast is the language of the world, but it cannot be the language of the church, and it cannot be the language of the Christian. Yet are we influenced by the culture at all around us? Do we hold fast to God's word in the face of this which rejects? sometimes violently, God's plan for marriage. So we have to go to God's word to find that truth for all of living, but especially as it concerns our marriages today. So how does the Bible define marriage? Let's just pause for a minute and talk a little bit about resources um, because I think it's important that we have some of those very specific, tangible things that we can learn from. You know, you might listen to one podcast and you might go, I really need more. So Erica, tell me some of the resources that you would highlight for a listener who's listening to um, use in their marriage. Um, I think I have four of them uh, that I used for this talk. Okay, and we'll put these in our show notes, Okay, but listen for right now. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The first was called The Mingling of Souls um, by Matt Chandler, and I liked this book, but what I loved the most was the imagery of the title, um, because I think it's the mystery of marriage, that Mm. you're actually mingling souls together into one, that God Mm. does a mysterious work in that. So that book kind of deals with that. And then the second one, which I have given to many young women who are not yet married, is called What Are You Waiting For? Um, And it has to deal with something, uh, it's by Dana Gresh, and it has to deal with something called yada in scripture, which is to be known. And Hmm. that word means um, in every sense of the word to be known. So intimately in marriage, um, that private knowing that happens from knowing your favorite color to knowing your personhood Um, and that so many young girls and women are in search of being known sure there's a yada yearning that we have Mm -hmm. and she really addresses that only god can know us in that way which i love because that translates so well to marriage that even if you know there are moments where you feel fully known in this life but if there is a longing still that where to take that to God. And yeah. so I love how she handled that. That was an and, excellent and book. And drives us right back to Christ. Yes. Which and is then, what we should do. Yes. And that from that, all things flow. Yep. Our love and our marriage, everything can flow okay, from that. I'll put that on my list. That's an excellent book. And then one of the underpinnings of the whole talk was uh, a book by John Piper called This Momentary Marriage. And the whole thesis of this book is um, that marriage is essentially boiled down to a covenant a promise that you're making before God. If we took away every element and trapping and decoration of a wedding day, what what makes you, in God's eyes, married is the covenant. Yes. Um, and so that's a very big thing we're doing on the day that we say, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, in this book, really addresses all the reasons we want to break the covenant mm. and that um, that it's a momentary marriage. It's, yeah. a, it's a brief time in this life up until eternity and so 
How can we honor God in our marriages, no matter what our marriage looks like? How can we honor God? And I I loved this book. That's good. That's a great, great concept. It's not just about the bridesmaids dresses. then. Yeah, not at all. It's about much, much deeper. Yes. And also he talks a lot about it's a reflection of Christ in Mm. the church. So, and the fourth book is um, a collection of essays by Jim Wilson and it's called how to be free from bitterness. And he didn't write all the essays, but um, one of Mm. his in particular has been extremely powerful in my life. So. I have that book, and I will just make a comment that that isn't just for marriage. Mm-hmm. That book would be great if you're struggling with loving and caring and forgiving someone yes. in general. So, Amen. Okay, and I, I actually thought about another resource that um, is really important in marriage. And sometimes we get into a spot in our marriage that we just really can't go over the hump. And we might need someone else. And so, yes, there's fabulous counselors out there in the world. And they can do some amazing things. Um, and some of them are Christian counselors. But I have to say that, that from what I've heard, there are definitely some Christian counselors who highlight counseling practices over the Bible. And we always want our counselors to highlight the Bible over, over counseling practices. And actually, the Bible is a great place for counseling. And Jesus is the ultimate best counselor ever. But sometimes we need someone else. And I just wanted to highlight the importance of lay counselors, women and men who are in our lives, in our circle, like... Someone who's in your small group or your Bible study or you sit by at church who knows you, knows your family, knows your circumstances, knows how you relate and can help you walk through that dark situation in your marriage and help you overcome it. Um, I have been blessed to be on both ends of this, really. Um, And I can think of a couple times that we've had couples come and say, hey, will you help us? So my husband and I have sat down with them and it, I mean... I'm not a counselor. My background's in elementary education. So, but it was really very humbling to think, oh, these people are just coming and asking for help. And because I knew them, it was easier. Mm-hmm. We, we, we cut through all the beginning stuff and we were able to talk about maybe some more real things. And we also had already built trust. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's important. So don't get rid of the idea of going to your pastor's wife or maybe even just your small group leader yeah. or your Bible study leader or just a good, good friend. Just make sure that they're wise in, in following God's word um, because our world has a lot of different views about marriage. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, let's, let's jump back into the rest of your talk, Erica, okay? Okay. Verses 6 through 9 is the scripture passage we're going to stand on. And it says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his life. The two shall become one flesh. They shall no longer be two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So let's just quickly unpack some of these truths. From the beginning of creation is the first. Focusing on the creation aspect. God made Adam on the sixth day, and he left Adam longing for a partner. He was without a counterpart. He was unlike the animals. Who was man's equal? Who was his match? And God affirmed Adam's longing as real, and he answered it by forming a woman from his rib. These two were to live together before God in marriage, and it was God who created marriage. It was his idea then, and it's his idea now. And in his wisdom, he designed the components that would form a marriage. He created them male and female, distinct sexes. They are complementary, not binary. And with all due respect, he did not create two men in marriage, nor two women in marriage. In fact, Romans 1 tells us that homosexual unions are a rejection of this design that God has made. And that in order to fully worship and understand God, it is an ordain, an ordaining, sorry, ordaining of a man and a woman, which reflects Christ and his bride, the church. So he is the lover who laid down his life. She, the respecter, who follows his lead. He, the leader. She, the follower. He, the head. She, his glory. And together, by God's grace, they complement and strengthen one another. One nourishes the other. And it's not that unmarried people are lacking. In fact, scripture tells us that those who remain single can remain single-minded toward Christ. And they're free from many of the troubles that we're going to talk about today. But male and female together bring a union and a strength to carry on in this life. 
and we also have the uh, privilege of reflecting God's glory in a unique way. So it is God who loves his people, and he keeps covenant with them, and we're going to talk about how marriage reflects that. Moving along, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Who has heard of leave, cleave, and weave? Anybody ever hear that? Okay. My aunt used to say that as a joke, but it's very true, and she was actually teaching us about what this is all about. You're leaving. First, leaving the authority of your home, and the husband or the, the man leaves the authority of his parents' home and establishes a new head under God's authority, and she leaves her parents' authority, transferring allegiance from her parents to her husband, and she follows her husband. Then hold fast to one another. They cleave to one another. There, to hold fast to each other, come what may. No longer two, but one flesh. They are woven together, weaving, becoming a new being, one in body and spirit. And God is the one who joins them together. So taking vows before God, they make a covenant to him. He joins them deeply, intertwining, sealing by their consummation. And he now sees them as one. So therefore, the last line, let no man separate let no man separate, let no woman separate. Amen. So today I want to use a diamond to highlight some points about marriage. We might not know all the, the things I'm going to talk about, but our, our husbands probably do. But the four C's of looking for a good diamond are color, cut, clarity, and carrot. My husband researches everything at nauseum, so <laughs> I, I did learn about this while he, we were... Dating. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm using three of them today, and they're color, cut, and clarity. So the first one is color. When choosing a diamond, clean and clear is what you're looking for. It's the first thing we should also seek in our own lives. Sin is anything we do or have done to break God's perfect law. And the Bible says, and we probably know, that we all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Sin darkens and confuses our lives. And in order to be made clean, we have to be washed in the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news of salvation. So first, have you been made clean and clear from your sins before God? Have you received salvation that comes from believing in Christ? When we yield our trust to him and put our faith in him, the Bible says that we will be saved and made spotless, white as snow, clean as the clearest diamond. If you have any questions about this, please talk to me afterwards. It is the greatest thing that you'll do in your life. But if you've already put your faith in Christ, then we need to remember to live out our days in light of that truth and faith. So we need to walk clean and keep our hearts pure and cleansed by obeying God's word. We must follow God's word as it pertains to our marriages as well. God set an example for us through the gospel that he is a covenant keeper. He does not break covenant, and he is our example in that in marriage as well. So, the second aspect of valuing a diamond is cut. A diamond straight from a mine is set apart and valuable in and of itself because it's a diamond, but it's not as valuable as it will become. It's a diamond in the rough, so only when it is cut does the brilliance and the quality begin to show better. Our marriages are very much the same. Don't get me wrong, marriage is wonderful, and we probably never experienced love like we did on the day of our wedding. But it doesn't take long before you realize there's some work to do. So our marriages, though some start out brilliantly, probably need the cuts that will refine us, though we don't like them. So these cuts, if you will, can be, can be what make us a, a clearer picture of Christ and the church as well. And I propose they're what deepen our affection and love for our spouse if we allow them to. So when you weather suffering and hardship together, it can make your marriage more shining and rich, but it hurts. So though it's tempting, we cannot quit when these refining cuts come. You can't check out emotionally and wave the white flag on growing together saying, this is too hard, it's not what I signed up for. Instead, we need to trust that God is refining us when trials come. So we may learn early on that in such an intimate relationship, the cuts hurt all the more. 
And this can make us fearful of exactly how are we going to be refined. Um, so right now I just want to talk about some of the fears we may face in marriage. Some are founded and some are unfounded. Let's talk through those that are perhaps unfounded. Nancy Campbell is the ministry director of Above Rubies. She's also a pastor's wife. She wrote on Facebook on her page recently, Fear, guard against it, ladies. There is a healthy fear which God gives us for our preservation and safety. However, we're often plagued with unhealthy fears which come from the enemy. One of Satan's greatest ploys is to tyrannize you with fear. Not realistic fears, but unrealistic fears. So we fear a fear. Job 15.21 says the sound of fears is in his ears. Not a true fear, only the sound of fear. Only the suggestion of what might happen. How the devil loves to deceive us. But fear stops us from doing the will of God. That's why the enemy uses fear against you. It immobilizes you and debilitates you. End quote. So do you fear a fear in marriage? Perhaps you fear your own imaginings and all that could go wrong. What if illness strikes? What if that pretty woman flirts with him? What if he's hurt at work? What if we lose insurance? What about the bird flu? What about mad cow disease? <laughs> GMOs? <laughs> it can go on and on, right? So just stop. How much worry and angst could we eliminate from our lives if we would not fear a fear? What if we shut down those fears at the outset? And how do we do that? We can do that by relying on God's power and strength when that fear comes. We have to quiet them with scripture and truth or else they gain more and more ground in our life. So God's truth is the thing that delivers us. And this means trusting that God is at work it is not for you to carry the worry and weight of orchestrating the future. That's God's work, thank goodness. But instead, he asks us to faithfully tend the work of today and that God's grace is sufficient today for this day. So may we do that work and trust one day at a time. This is how we live daily in faith over fear. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you that you'll never realize any of your fears because you know that's just not true. Um, so we need to talk about when fears are realized. Many of you may be walking through trials right now. I don't know where you are in your marriages or, or where, what your fears of the future may be real. But I hope to offer you some sense of encouragement that you can take home today, some nugget of truth that you can stand on to face your fears. I love this quote from Vicki Titi. One author about fear, she says, fear always sprints beyond our present circumstances to imagine the next disaster that lies ahead. But you demonstrate radical faith when you look your fears square in the face and you deny they have power over you because of what Christ did on the cross. So let's look some real fears square in the face right now. Um, starting with a big one. Um, the fear of physical loss, the fear of widowhood. Um, you know, you may not have this fear if you're 20, or you may carry it your whole marriage, or as you get older, you may realize that is a fear that you're developing. So statistically, women outlive men by five years. Given that it is something we will likely face in our lifetime, how could we ever be prepared for such a loss? it will always be painful. Now, I'm naive and I certainly cannot counsel a widow, but to the fear, we can apply a few principles. First, it's best to live storing up our treasures in heaven and not in this life alone. One of my favorite scripture passages is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, day by day, inwardly, we are being renewed. This verse seems fitting instruction for the fear of widowhood. Is this how we live, investing in eternity? Living fully here, but always with an eye on the prize. I'm not being trite, nor saying hold your marriage loosely, but rather live each day to the fullest with your husband. Enjoy him and treasure him. But remember too that our greatest treasures are not in this life. So when you fear losing him, Remind yourself, all will be a loss in this life, but your true gains are in eternity. 
so entrust him to God and do not fear death because Christ conquered death. We can face tomorrow. That old song, because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. I can also tell you if this becomes a reality, it's no surprise to God and he will see you through the storm. Faithful widows are honored in scripture and he provides for them specially. Another real fear would be the loss of health, debilitating illness. Um, this can be a fearful thing as you look ahead. What's going to happen in the future? How uh, will this affect our lives? And as you see signs, is this the beginning of, of a change or the end? But none of us knows when our end will come, whether there's illness or not. Why do we assume we have unlimited time before a prognosis? We can be assured that though we don't know what lies ahead, we'll, God will continue to be with us. John 16:33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you've experienced peace in the middle of a great storm, you know that though you don't know how you're walking through it, you know God is sustaining you. In faith, God is right there with you, holding you up in a way you did not know. And his presence builds greater faith and diminishes fear. And he is real and near to the brokenhearted. He has not abandoned you. In fact, this could be your opportunity to bring him great glory. On another note, you have an opportunity to show love very tangibly for your spouse. And I don't say this glibly because I don't wish to walk down this path myself, but if God calls us to it, you must stand on the promises he offers. I have an example of my um, aunt. She was in here in the last talk, and I told her I wanted to mention it, and so I will this time. But her um, brother-in-law had ALS, and his wife became a um, just an amazing example of care and love, and she was very dedicated to him. And I didn't really know them very well, but I can testify that that kind of love we don't see very often. It speaks very, very far. And so to pour out your life for that one that you promised in sickness and in health is a profound beauty. So, um, and it points to Christ. So what if this is how God wants to show his glory in our lives? Can we trust him that he is faithful and he can make something glorious from our hardships? This is what faith over fear looks like. So, if God calls us to it, we must stand on the promises in the middle of a storm. Another real fear is what I'll call marital divides. Questions like, what if we fall out of love? What if we can't get along and we fight all the time? What if there is tangible, overt sin? So, let's start with falling out of love. Let me just say at the outset that I think this terminology is a worldly soap opera approach to love. <laughs> Um, it suggests that your emotions are the thing that measures your level of commitment. And while I'd like to rephrase it, I hope it's not too shocking, but you will fall out of love. <laughs> I've been married 22 years this August. My husband and I met at Bowling Green State University, and we were married when we were 21. Um, we didn't set out to have a big family, but we have many children, and that's been a great blessing in our lives, but it's also been very refining. Um, and due to different cuts and trials that we have faced in our marriage, when I look across the landscape of 22 years, three of those years stand out as being really hard to love. Um, and they were at different points in our marriage. So he would probably incidentally say the same thing. <laughs> that it was hard for us to love each other during those times. And that was by no means a short time when we were in the middle of those struggles. But when I step back and I look at the entirety of the years, and how much more we hope to share together, those are a blip on the radar. And amazingly, some of my very favorite years were right on the heels of those difficult years. So why am I telling you that? I tell you because sometimes you just need to know that it's during these times that you need to stay the course. And you need to hold fast to the covenant. If your great-grandma were alive, or your great-great-grandma maybe, 
then that is what she would tell you. And it's a message we still need to hear about loyalty and perseverance. So when you hold fast to the primary thing, being the covenant, then the secondary things like emotions follow. You will certainly fall back in love again. If you're praying that God would bring you unity and joy to your marriage, and meanwhile, purpose to be a godly wife to your husband. God's grace flows through the channel of obedience. And faith stands firm, trusting that God will bring that flame back around as you follow his word. So keep loving and forgiving and growing through these trials and see what God does. Amazingly, he will change you in the process if you wait on the Lord. And you'll learn that love is far more a state of doing than it is a state of being. And when the feelings return, that love deepens, making your marriage more brilliant as you overcome these kinds of trials. See, monogamous lifelong love is often seen to the world as boring. And instead, new and young love is glorified. But we shouldn't be duped into thinking that emotion and attraction is the thing that equals love. Because it's not true, and we might be pretty disappointed the further on we get in marriage. Because feelings come and go. But instead, marital love is meant to encapsulate it all, right? You start out with young love, lots of feeling, heightened emotion, to the point that you want to marry this man. And then what you find is that sin will come, troubles rise and you have to renew and keep committing and keep going. So a long haul love is a rededication, a renewal over and over again. It's like a fine wine that grows better with age. So the covenant is what gives marriage its staying power. It's about falling in love over and over again. So hold fast and cling to your husband. Serve him and love him even while you wait for emotions to return. Some practical suggestions are to foster companionship, foster friendship. You can easily grow apart, especially as life gets busy and there are so many schedules and things, but we have to purpose to not let busyness rob us of our marriage. So you might be saying, I am exhausted. I'm taking care of the kids. I'm running carpool. I'm managing our home. I'm homeschooling some of you. And all of this can make life seem kind of lackluster. But don't put your marriage on the back burner. Ask your husband what he wishes you would do more of. Ask him if there's some way that you could love him better. And don't let it cause a fight. Just listen and, and take his advice, or else he might not be willing to be honest again. But it began with you two, and it will likely be you two again someday. So persevere and preserve and invest in your relationship both now and for the future. So what if we fight all the time? Well, I just want to give a quick example of um, from this momentary marriage that John Piper writes about. He says, when you get married, it's like walking into a beautiful open meadow where the sun is shining and you can smell the sweet breeze and the birds are chirping and you're so in love and you walk hand in hand into this beautiful meadow and it's wonderful until all of a sudden you start realizing you're stepping in cow pies <laughs> and they're, they're starting to build up and they're everywhere and so you start picking up the cow pies and throwing them in the compost heap. So that's one thing, you have to take care of the cow pies, but then what we do is we pitch our tent right by the compost heap, and we stay there, and we make that just the focus of the marriage. And he's saying, no, don't do that. Get up, remember, the meadow is out here. All of the wonder and the blessing and joys of marriage is still there, and you still have to pick up cow pies, but don't stay there by the heap. So I found that really helpful in so many of the things that um, are true of marriage. And if I boil down the things that we've struggled with, it's probably three things all the years of our marriage. <laughs> so you may find some problems will just be enduring problems because of who you are, because of who you married. And it probably will not ever be totally resolved, though it can be improved. Um, and maybe it will be resolved, but um, I, I say that just to encourage you that you have so much more than just the compost heap. So that encouraged me. I hope that encourages you too. 
financial struggles are a big area of conflict. Um, I would just say, I had a friend when she first got married, and, and you may know people, or you may do this yourself, but they set up separate everything, separate accounts and separate workload and separate separation of chores. And um, though it sounded good on paper, it really was not helpful for their covenant. So I would just say, don't make it easy to tear things apart. Don't build your own escape plan into your marriage, but give yourself to it entirely. Give your whole self to this union that you've entered into. One time in an argument about finances, I said to my husband, I hate that I need you so much. <laughs> that was a hard thing to say, but I was so thankful in the end, you know, after that fight had settled, because in the back of my mind, I knew I was thankful that I had invested my whole life into this marriage. Don't make it easy to tear it up. And so, I had given up my independence to be home with our children, and we both wanted that, and we were happy that I was able to do that. But I could have done other things, and so at points I struggled with that, putting my life aside to raise our children. Um, but in the end, it was good for it is good for us, and it is good for me. So to put your lives together as much as you can, and don't build separate kingdoms. Um, and be faithful with what you've been given. So in terms of finances, there are usually a spender and a saver, whichever one you are. Be resourceful, be careful with money, spend wisely under your husband's leadership. If you have concerns, talk with him about it. Tell him what you're afraid of and work together to work out a plan. You might at these points begin to think that the grass is greener somewhere else where I don't have all these problems that come on continually. But problems have a way of following us because we are part of our problems. So the grass is not greener somewhere else. Um, purpose to work on your marriage and make um, things work. And also work together to establish what God has given you. Be a team as much as you can. Be yoked together, plow together and be a helpmate to him. Encourage him as he provides and help make his burden light. Moving on to the next point, what if there's entrenched sin? Many times, tangible and real sin can lead us to fear. Fear more sin, fear more destruction. Um, it creates major trauma and confusion in a marriage and in a life. When a husband or wife is in sin, wading through it can seem exhausting. But um, specific and intensive help may be needed most often in these cases. But things like, what if he has an addiction? What if he's abusive? What if he's sinfully controlling? What if he is or has been unfaithful? Um, and of course, if these are anything that the wife has done, then all of this needs to be addressed. Um, first, a wife can make a biblical appeal to her husband if he is actively engaged in sin. So this would be a formal conversation, not motivated by selfishness or anger. That has to be set aside if you're going to come and, and make a biblical appeal to him. Um, but the motivation is for restoration and that something could be done to change or to get rid of the sin that's at hand. Um, it's scripturally showing where there's sin and what should be done instead. It's biblical, it's respectful, it should not be accusatory, and it's bathed in prayer. So I don't know about you, but the knee-jerk reaction to sin is often highly fraught with emotion, and this is very different from that. So this would be a um, very thought-out uh, approach to addressing sin. And if he is a Christian, then God's word is the authority in his life. And so when it's presented to him, um, hopefully that makes an impact and you can use scripture to guide that. If he is not a Christian, still he can use God's word to appeal to his conscience and the natural consequences that come from sin. And again, the purpose is restoration. So um, that's one tool that a wife has. And of course, the husband's heart in that matters. Is he pursuing, um, is he seeking help or is he resisting it? And your actions will be different as a result. Um, if someone is seeking to fight sin and work to be free of a sin, that's very different than someone who's rebelling and not, not facing the problem. So your actions will be different as well. Um, 
scripture does make provision for divorce where infidelity and certain situations are involved, but let's note that there are rare instances. Um, 50% of marriages today end in divorce, and that somehow shows how liberally we use that as a solution to problems today. So it's to be a very seldom used thing when all else has failed um, in terms of mainly infidelity, but of course abuse and different things are also a factor. So um, some practical things you can do if you're in a situation where you need to seek help. You can seek out another godly help couple who can help you, maybe an elder of your church or a pastor and his wife. Um, doing it as a couple is helpful because you're able to hear both sides of the story, obviously, with another couple um, because a woman is there to also help you be heard, I think. Um, and counseling is a really pat answer to problems today, but I just want to raise a question that keep in mind that a counselor doesn't typically know you in real life and doesn't have the context of knowing you in, in how you are in friendships, who, um, how you are as a parent, all those things. So while I think it can be very helpful, it's, it also can be very isolating. So you can start breaking ties with friends and family that want to help as well because your counselor has become the person that, the only person you'll listen to. So I just raise that caution. Um, and, and find someone that's um, trusted and you've gotten a few opinions about. So if you do meet for, with someone, it's important to go with a soft heart, that this is not easy um, to come to, but if you come with humility rather than a hard heart, then you'll have much more chance of help. And that is that. So spiritual fears are the next part. and. These are very real for many women. Um, this could lend itself to maybe you're saying, I think I married the wrong man at the wrong time with the wrong heart. What did I do? <laughs> if you're in this position, I want to assure you that the man that you married is exactly who God had for you to marry. And you may be saying, well, he is a Christian, but he's not leading me. And I want to ask first, are you letting him lead you? Do you tend to criticize him when he leads? Do you defeat his efforts? Do you compare him unfavorably to other men, either in what you say or how you think about him? Do you always have a better way of doing things? Do you restrain um, his freedom as a father? Do you not let him have fun with the kids or, or he gave a bath differently than you did or um, he didn't wipe their face right? Let him do that. Do you mother him along with the kids? Um, husbands who lead generally have wives who let them. Though let's be honest, it's not always without a fight. But make sure that you're not cutting him off at the knees by not following him when he does take the initiative. Even if he fails, be with him and follow him. So what's a girl to do if her husband is coasting or preoccupied? Um, first, I would say pray about it, as with everything, ask God to give you the right motives, and then ask God to give your husband a new fervor for the Lord. Pray that God will bring other men into his life who will challenge and encourage him. And then pay attention to your approach to him. Are you condemning or critical? I don't know how you're motivated, but I know I'm not motivated when someone's condemning and critical, and I'm pretty sure guys aren't either. In fact, that takes a blow at the respect that they need to feel from their wives. And so condemnation and, and a critical spirit is very deflating. So try to encourage him by letting him know that you're behind him and that you want to be a help to him, even asking him if how you can do that. You can also make an appeal scripturally um, to remind him. Elizabeth Elliot wrote, Your dream of the perfect man has to go. It is this man that God has given you, another sinner, there isn't anyone else to marry. So bind yourself to him. It's God's will that you be a godly wife to him, your husband. And finally, what if he isn't a Christian? Some of you may be, um, you know, you became a believer after you got married. And if, uh, you know, the Bible says you're to not be unequally yoked in marriage. So going into marriage, you want to find someone who also loves Christ if you're a believer. Um, but if you became a believer after you were married, 
um, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4 uh, speaks to this, and I'm not going to read it, but it says that the husband who is unbelieving can be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. This is a hope and a work that God gives women to do when their husbands are not believers in Christ. It's the observable witness, and it's not fixed on words, but actions. So when there are words of spiritual nature, they're gentle words, and kindness is on her tongue. So you would still be, of course, you're praying for his salvation, and you're demonstrating the character of God any chance you get. It's important, though, that you also keep pursuing your own spiritual growth, that you be in a church and you do as much as you're able, Um, but continuing to honor your spouse in this. Scripture says that you can sanctify your home and your family through your faith, even if your husband is not a believer. 1 Corinthians 7 is a great chapter on all of these different points. I've personally witnessed many beautiful marriages where a wife lives honoring before God and her unbelieving husband. I've seen husbands come to faith, and my own dad is one of those men. So praise the Lord for all of you who are in that situation. Stand fast and trust God, and um, it is not too hard for him to do that. The last C is clarity. Clarity is when a diamond is free of blemishes for what are called inclusions. Um, Before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Bible says they were naked and they were not ashamed. They didn't know shame. They didn't know what sin was and they walked around purely at peace with that. But once they had sinned, the first thing they did was to go hide and cover themselves up. Marriage is a mixed bag of these realities. Sin causes us to still want to hide and cover up from God, from our spouse, and this keeps us from knowing one another in the deepest intended ways. But when God is at work in our marriage and we live cleanly before him, we can trust that when he cuts us, it's for his good purpose and we can live cleanly without inclusions or hindrances in our marriage. So we can be naked and not ashamed, both physically and spiritually and in our well-being. So to be to be together in that way. And I asked earlier in the talk how a young couple could make a promise such as till death do us part and keep it when the future is so uncertain and the failure rate of marriage is so high. But it's because of the covenant that binds us for life. We can know that this is the one place, the one relationship where we are known and loved, come whatever, that that person is not going to break the covenant if you're not measuring up or if he's not measuring up but there's this abiding trust made before God that cements you. Matt Chandler writes, love says I've seen all the ugly parts of you and I'm staying. That in a nutshell is marriage. So you see staying married is not mainly about staying in love but it's all about keeping covenant. Whether we realize it or not we make a promise on that wedding day especially as Christians to live it out with love and faith until we die. We are to cling to this when times are good and love flows and it's easy and the sun is shining and when we're slogging through muck and filth. But on a sunny day or a slogging day, the covenant is the thing that makes us stick. So approaching it, your marriage, with this kind of fervor and loyalty will make you more precious than rubies to your husband. You can be his most valuable asset in, in life, his helpmeet who strengthens him deep in his bones. And this is the kind of trust in God that we can come to laugh and smile at the days to come, even though we know there's much to fear. Because faith can face those fears and trust that God keeps his covenant with us. And we can do the same in our marriages. This is a picture of the gospel on display. So I've come to love lighthouses as I've grown older. And the Fresnel lens is actually um, cut with a diamond. That's my link in my metaphor. <laughs> diamond to lighthouse. It's a little bit of a jump. But um, they, can, they can be beautifully crafted. And the way they work are all of the light is refracted down to this one lens, which intensifies all of the beams. And it can travel that light for many, many miles. 
It enables ships to see the beam and be welcomed into the harbor as well as warned of danger. So our marriage serves not only us and our families, but it's a testimony that radiates out to the people in our world about who Christ is and how he loves and how he saves. So are we shining or are we dim? Your marriage matters, not only in this life, but it can make an impact for the next. So face your fears and don't run from them. Face them with faith that God can see you through anything that comes your way and shine as a light on a lampstand as God calls us to do, especially in marriage. I just want to end with this quote from J.C. Ryle, and it's called, Don't Be a Dim Lighthouse. Settle it down in your mind that you will aim at the highest degree of holiness, spiritual mindedness and consecration to God, that you will not be content with any low degree of sanctification. Resolve that by the grace of God, you will make Christianity beautiful in the eyes of the world. Remember that the children of the world have but few patterns of true religion before them. Oh, that every true Christian would recollect that he is set as a lighthouse in the midst of a dark world and would labor so to live that every part of him may reflect light and not no side be dim. Okay, so Erica, wow, that was a great, great talk. There's so much in there and so much to unpack. I might have to listen to it again. I'm guessing some of our listeners will need to kind of walk back through it. Um, I know sometimes I'll listen to a podcast the first time through, and if I really want to listen again, I'll take my notebook out and I'll you know write down things because I, I realize there's things I'm, I really need to remember. I actually thought of a couple questions that I wanted to kind of end with. The first one is sometimes we are going through difficulty in our marriage, and you know what? We need to talk to somebody but we also know we're not supposed to by the Bible to talk negatively about our husband all over everywhere. And so how can we do that? How can we not just, you know, speak ill and just trash him all over mm-hmm. as we're dealing with these difficulties? Yeah, I, I think that um, when should you seek help? Um, you know, when you have reached a major impasse or you're not making progress on an issue or when there's a deep sin or something that's exposed that is a cut that's deep um, that needs some help or maybe you just can't seem to forgive sometimes Mm. reaching out to a godly person like you mentioned earlier in that situation is really the nudge you need through that stronghold or through Mm -hmm. that hardship Um, and so if you're going to share that with someone, I wrote down a few things I was thinking. Um, first of all, if you have malice in your heart towards your husband about it, it's probably not time to talk about it yet. Then you should probably keep quiet. Mm-hmm. And Except talk to the Lord. That's my next line among your friends, but yeah. then go to God with that. You yeah. really need to get rid of that. Um, and, you know, Proverbs 31 says a wife does her husband good, not yep. harm, all of his days, every day of his life, whether he's a godly man or he's acting as a fool. Yep. Uh, she will do him good every day of his life. And so she's a help. And sometimes that means helping untangle sin. Um, sometimes it means just waiting on the Lord and asking him to lead her steps. Um, mm-hmm. It really is a, a going to the Lord. And then he does provide answers. It's not just this, oh, I'll just put it off and suppress it by going to the Lord. No, going to the Lord yes. is the action that he will bring about results if we um, are diligent in that. So I would just say, be um, if you are going to go to someone, be prudent who you tell. That someone godly and neutral who has the best interests of each of you yeah. in mind, not yeah. just he's, she's your friend, but right. she doesn't like your husband right? Um, or, you know, something like that. So someone who cares about both of you yeah. and, um, and also, can speak truth from God's word. To yes. You. And also likely it's more like one person. Yeah. Not 15. Many. That's right? a good point. This yes. isn't a moment to post on Facebook. Exactly. Right. right. It's a time to just get some seek out direct help. And exactly. I think one 
person is a really good yes. start. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so there were so many things um, in this talk. I mean, that is a really good, a good thing to talk about because it's something that's very practical. Um, you know, Erica, there are a lot of things in this talk that were Im impactful to me. I love how you talked about how the Bible needs to define marriage. Mm -hmm. It's not just that we go at marriage and say, this is what it is and we're going to define it. We have to go back to what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because our culture sure has changed the view of marriage right. and how it looks. Um, and I think that we have to start with the Bible and as our starting point. I also can say that I think it's helpful to remember all the women who are listening, some of you may have had the physical loss. You may be in a spot right now where you're a widow, or maybe you are perhaps have already gone through a divorce and it's final. And maybe you are in a situation where you are not married right now, although you would desire to be married. And I think that's really easy for us who are married to kind of go forth and kind of forget about those ladies. But I wanted to stop and pause, Erica, and ask you a couple of questions a little bit about that. What, um, what do you think those folks who are listening, who are struggling through some of those things, divorce, separation, widowhood, what do you advice would you give them? Well, speaking specifically to divorce, um, there's never a time that, you know, divorce is good news. Yeah. Um, you know, some marriages end with a hand grenade. You know, some cataclysmic thing blows up the marriage. Some marriages are taken away brick by brick until yeah. there's nothing left. And in the end, you still have this great devastating loss. Mm -hmm. um, and so many women um, never expected to find themselves in that situation. Sure. This wasn't and, like on our to-do list right. for our um, wedding planning. You know, it could have been a, um, a major part or action of their husband that they, you know, are in this state now. Yeah. It also could be that you are checking out of your marriage and yeah. you are entertaining other ideas um, rather than you know pouring your life into your own cistern which is your husband yeah. you're spending it other places um, so this is a warning to that kind of behavior that um, you know we have to invest in our own cisterns but no matter what has happened God is able to make good things out of yes. broken things. Yes. Um, that you're not secondhand goods if you've been through a divorce. Um, and we can live confidently in um, the grace of God because he has made it so. Yeah. And so we can live without regrets. Of course, we'll have regrets, I think. But God doesn't want us to, if we've dealt with sin and we've, we've um, you know, worked uh, to forgive and do those things that we can move on confidently. And to those who are married, um, you know, it can be easy to overlook, like you said, mm -hmm. the women who have been in this situation and they may feel that they're, um, it's not their place to, you know, pursue like friendship. they're butting in. Yes. Yes. They might feel like they're intruding. Um, and so we need to like show Christian love to each other and make sure that people are being covered in, in love and care, including widows, especially yeah. widows. And, and I think that um, I have personally been blessed abundantly by women who just came into my home and just loved on my kids. Mm -hmm. But I do think you have a really good point that um, as married women, it's our job to include those ladies. Mm -hmm. And and to welcome them into our homes and to befriend them. Mm -hmm. And so if you are sitting out there listening today and someone is reaching out to you, then respond. But go to their home and spend time with their family. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important. Okay, so I wanted to end with a little phrase, Erica, that I think that you and I should make a business, okay? And we should have t-shirts that say this and mm -hmm. hashtag or maybe um, bumper stickers on our car that say long haul love. I think that's mm -hmm. the kind of love that we, you talked about today, that we talked about in our little interview sections. And it's just really important to remember that we need to be um, in the process. This is a long haul love that mm -hmm. we need and it comes from Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that you came on and shared with us in addition to your talk that you gave three years ago. Um, it's great to be able to talk through a little bit more and I just want to encourage all the women out there. This is your week um, of making an effort to love on your husbands. 
I think this is a good start. Let's, let's do that. Mm -hmm. Erica, would you pray for us as we end today? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is sufficient for all of life. There's never time that you do not address our needs and our longings. And I thank you that you are exactly what we need, that you fill us and you guide us and direct us. And you say, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. And that doesn't mean I know, Lord, that our lives will um, fall perfectly into place, but you equip us to handle whatever comes. And that is the glory. And so I pray for all the marriages that are struggling. I pray you give them hope. I pray they would face their fears with faith instead of fear. Um, and I ask you to um, use this podcast in any way you see fit to strengthen and grow women in their love for Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, um, join us next week as we are interviewing two young ladies who have been friends for a very long time. And we're going to talk about not long haul love, but I guess we're going to talk about long haul friendships next mm -hmm. week, how you can keep your friendships going when your lives diverge and go different directions. Um, we're going to, I'm going to be spending time with two ladies who have actually done this and um, we're going to hear how they did it. So I hope you join us next week. And uh, remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time. <laughs>